In the name of God, creator, redeemer, and giver of life. Amen. So the legendary civil rights veteran, Congressman John Lewis, died last Friday. The news reported that he had been the last living person to have spoken at the March on Washington in 1963, where Dr. King delivered his famous I Have a Dream speech. That dream is credited with awakening the conscience of America. And now, once again, it seems our consciences are awakening from a deeper slumber. But this time, it feels like one of those mornings, you know, when, when your dreams fade from memory as your head rises from the pillow. I sometimes wonder if we've forgotten how to dream as a people. Maybe I'm just out of touch. I'm sure I am. <laughs> but I don't hear much talk about dreams as engines of social change anymore. The language of dreams is giving way to more prosaic, more easily recalled litanies of grievance. I find myself wondering if we will ever again believe in a common dream for America. And then I wonder if we ever really did. At a time when the American dream has been unmasked as a fantasy, at a time when Dr. King's dream is dismissed by many as too soft, too forgiving, too Christian, I wonder how our current movements for justice are tapping into the power of dreams. Will there ever be another inaugural speech like President Kennedy's inspiring an entire generation into idealism and sacrifice? Will there ever again be a dream like Dr. King's, thrilling us with the image of an America that actually lives up to its ideals? When I was 16, I had a, a long and extremely vivid dream, unlike any dream I'd had before, and it changed my life forever. Even to this day, my dream, that dream, acts as a kind of north star for me, guiding my life decisions. In fact, I would not be here in this pulpit right now if it had not been for that dream I had back in 1972. I'll spare you the details of the dream, except to say it involved an enormous horse. This horse was huge, twice the size of a normal horse, and white from head to hoof and with these big brown eyes that looked right through me. And there was this friendly old priest riding him, and that priest climbed down off the horse and handed me the reins, and he said, this is number one. He's yours now. And he lifted me up onto that horse and waved goodbye. I woke up from that dream weeping with joy. I felt like I had found my truest self, the living image of my soul. Here is your soul, alive in God, the dream seemed to be saying, powerful and yet loving, dangerous and yet gentle. From that dream to my life's work as a priest to this very present moment, there is a straight, unbroken line. That's the power that our dreams can have.
If we let them, they can reorder our lives because they tell us the true stories of our souls. They have their fix on us. They tell us who we are bluntly and without censorship. They make it possible for us to chart a course for our lives that honors the truth of who we are at our deepest level. The Bible, of course, is full of stories about people having dreams. Most of those dreams are seen as prophetic in the sense that they predict the future in some way. But there's another kind of dream that we find in the Bible. Not the kind that tells the future, but rather the kind of dream that tells us about ourselves. That was the kind of dream we hear about this morning with Jacob dreaming about a ladder ascending to heaven, angels ascending and descending on it, and God standing before Jacob and pronouncing blessing. The significance of this dream is not so much that it predicts Jacob's future, though it does that. The real significance of the dream is that Jacob encounters God's dream for him. For the first time in his life, Jacob sees himself through God's eyes. And this is what he learns. He learns that he is deeply blessed. He is deeply loved. He is deeply cared for by the most powerful force in the universe. And for no good reason at all, just that God simply chooses to love him. This is what it means to be blessed. Not to feel blessed, to be blessed. Dreams are, of course, the most ancient and most common form of life-altering spiritual experience known to humankind. <clears throat> Monks and yogis and gurus can spend hours every day chanting and meditating, God bless them, but for some of us, our dreams of God can be a radical shortcut to a kind of temporary enlightenment. To actually experience God's regard for you, as Jacob does in his dream, as I did in mine, is to actually feel God's loving attention. That changes everything. It's an experience of profound forgiveness as you realize that none of your failures, none of your faults can hold this love at bay. Jacob is loved by God despite the fact that he's a cheat, and a thief, and a liar who sold his brother down the river. And secondly, the priorities of your life are transformed because you're no longer living for the good opinions of others. The only opinion that matters has just spoken. You're no longer pursuing the ephemeral satisfactions of the ego because your ego has been exposed as an illusion. And all you want to do is harness that illusion to work toward its own annihilation. And you're no longer living primarily for yourself because you've fallen absolutely and unequivocally in love with that which transcends all individuality and all conventional notions of selfhood. To those who want to think that religion is all about living by the rules, 
To those who think God's favor can be won by winning the niceness competition, Jacob's dream dispels those notions forever. It isn't about who's most deserving of God's blessing. It's about the nature of divine reality itself, which is nothing but blessing, promiscuous, undeserved, completely gratuitous blessing. It's about the divine one who comes to us with one simple message. You are loved. You are blessed. You are loved. You are blessed. A few years ago, an interesting article came out in Dissent magazine that criticized our politicians for forsaking the language of dreams for the language of preferences. It said that these days, political campaigns are crafted out of nothing more than focus-grouped measurements of political preferences. Every candidate is sewing together a patchwork quilt of sound bites designed to attract voters with a more or less compatible set of preferences. But they've lost the ability to speak the language of our dreams, of our souls. When did we lose the language of our most sacred dreams and our deepest hopes? After all, as Jean Bethke Elstein reminds us, Dr. King did not have a preference. He had a dream. What's our dream? If I'm honest, I guess I have to confess that that's my own question to myself because my own dreams have been fading a bit with my old age. I'm beginning to wonder whether dreams are a younger person's game. Dr. King, after all, he was just 34 when he gave that speech in Washington. Maybe the most important thing that people my age can do is encourage and support the dreams of a younger generation and get out of the way. But I haven't given up on dreaming altogether. As the prophet Joel said, there will be a day when your old ones shall dream dreams and your young ones shall see visions. This is such a rich and compelling time in our history right now. I think maybe because we are being called into a new dream, a dream that's still emerging a dream that we're still straining to recall. These days, my dreams feel less like my dreams and more like the dreams of the earth itself. I can feel the earth's yearning and striving for life. I can feel the trains, the trees straining for the sunlight. I can feel the sky opening to the sun and the sun singing to the forests. And at night, I can hear the dirt under my bed telling its stories. The earth itself is enfolding us and drawing us to its heart. The earth itself is the dreamer now, whispering to us, It's saying, wake up and start dreaming. Wake up and start dreaming.
In his letter to the Romans, Paul shares a similar dream. He says, for the creation waits with eager longing. The whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves. That is the dream that I too am having. The creation itself is in labor pains, pushing all of us into a new birth. The earth itself is crying out to us to step beyond these endless cycles of futility and decay, warfare and violence, power and control. This is a dream being shared by many now, young and old. It's the dream of Joanna Macy, still dreaming strong at the ripe old age of 91. Where this dream leads exactly, I cannot say. Perhaps the promised land is for another generation to enter. But this dream is taking hold of me and taking hold of a planet in harmony with its people, imagining a people in harmony with the earth, of a heaven that is not some distant place, inaccessible at the top end of a ladder that only angels can climb, but rather here in this body, in this planet, right here in our own bodies, pierced as they are with eager longing, riven as they are with an uncreated hope. It seems like every day I'm reminded of how terrible a time people are having right now. My therapist friends tell me they are overwhelmed with new clients. Suicidality is on the rise. Anxiety and fear and depression are taking their toll. So this is the time for us to remember these words from Paul. I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. We are experiencing the labor pains of a new creation. They are the source of our tears and the origin of our hopes. And we are the ones who are being born anew. So let's all wake up and start dreaming again. Amen.